All right, turn with me, if you would, please, in your Bibles to Psalm 56. Last week, we were in Psalm 34, the Bible study. I was in Psalm 37. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 56, with what I believe is a very appropriate word for all of us in this hour. Look at verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Now, it's the third verse that I want to accent today. It's also the title of the message, What to Do When You Are Afraid. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Amen. It's not a question of whether you're going to be afraid. It's only a matter of when. And as I just mentioned, with all that's going on in the world, people are very stressed. People are afraid. Some of you are afraid. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, believe what is written here in the fourth verse. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Fear is something that everybody struggles with. Everybody struggles with. It's just a question of who overcomes it and who is overcome by it. In the Soviet Union, back when Nikita Khrushchev was the premier, the leader, he, from time to time, would talk about Joseph Stalin and some of the oppressions and horrific things that Stalin did. And of course, whether he was actually sincere or not, well, who knows. But once he was in a public meeting, the shout came from the crowd, and he says, why did you let him do it? Why didn't you stop him? And Khrushchev cast his eyes over the crowd. He says, who said that? Nobody made a move. And then he says, now you know why. Think of that. He made a point. I said, who said that? No one would stand up. Why? They were afraid of Khrushchev, and for good reason. And so he was just pointing out that you just didn't speak out against this dictator. You didn't speak out against this evil man for fear of what's going to happen to you. Yet David says here, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. I admire these people in the Ukraine. I really do. And there's people like that all over the world, by the way. Well, we had one here some time ago. Give me liberty or give me death. The ships were right off the harbor when he made that speech in Virginia. It's not a question of if you're going to be afraid. It's only a matter of when and to what degree and for how long will you put up with it until you get up one morning, perhaps, and you say to yourself, I have had enough of this anxiety. I have had enough of living my life in fear. I've had enough. On that day, you have your best chance of defeating fear for the rest of your life. Once you can get up and say, no more. I'm not living this way anymore. I'm not going to live in the fear of death. I'm not going to live in the fear of all types of things. And might I add, at this moment in history, I'm not going to live in the fear of the threat of thermonuclear war. Well, I refuse to. First of all, if it was going to happen, I can't prevent it. But this much here that I bring to your mind and to your attention over and over again God is in control. Amen. Now, whether you can see that or not, I really would suggest you start getting down on your knees and reading this book prayerfully and meditatively, and then make an executive decision that says, I will believe. I will not fear. I will praise his word. I will put my trust. I will not fear what man can do unto me, whose breath is in his nostrils. And after that, they have nothing else they can do to me. 
Nothing else they can do to me. It's not a question of if you'll be afraid. It's only a matter of when and to what degree. And then whether you make a decision to say, I refuse to live in fear. I refuse to be intimidated by fear. This comes naturally or that which is from the outside of us. Either way, it still has the same result of getting you to skulk around, always apprehensive, always afraid, always trimming your sails. Fear is common to mankind. It's been around since the Garden of Eden. Adam, where are you? He said, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I was afraid. Well, the fear of the Lord is something different, but in the Garden it was guilt. And Christ came to deliver us from our fears. We had that just a couple weeks ago. I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. I said to you then, I remind you now, you can't be delivered from fear unless you now go out and face it. Otherwise, it's just a theory. I hear people all the time tell me I'm not afraid of anything. But I watch their behavior. And I don't say much to some people, just like, all right, fine. It's God who should be feared. And that is in the sense of reverence and awe with the knowledge of what God can do when he decides to do it. However, we're assured in the scriptures that if God be for us, who can be against us? If God is on your side, and he is, then who can stand against? He's God. He's God. Let me go a little forward with this here and talk about the temptation to be afraid. And I have people who tell me they have no fears. I don't pay attention to it because I know better. Everybody has them. Everybody has some anxieties and apprehensions. But many people are willing to admit there's something they're anxious about, apprehensive about. By the way, just very quickly, fear has a lot of synonyms. Preoccupation. A preoccupation with something that's not healthy to be thinking about all the time is an anxiety. It's a fear. And then we have all of these things that are related to fear. I was reading this little bit of research that goes back 30 years. I'd like to give it to you. In 1990, researchers at John Hopkins University reported that 30 years before that, which would be 1960, the greatest fears of grade school children were animals, number two, being in a dark room, number three, high places, fourth was strangers, fifth was loud noises. Then this article, again written 32 years ago, said, now today kids are afraid of the following, divorce, nuclear war, cancer, pollution, being kidnapped, being attacked. And then I did a further research on that, and I found out that things haven't changed, that children are afraid of all of these things now. As we hear so frequently here, as the children are prayed for before they go downstairs to their children's church, how they're facing things that we did not face. But let me just say this. We faced quite a lot since we were born. All of us. I don't care how old you are. We're facing a lot of stuff. And it seems as though it's just kind of piling up. When I went to grade school, and you went to, well, some of you at least went to grade school, we had duck and cover drills. What's this for, teacher? What was the answer? I don't know. Other than when we got a little, little older and figured out five, six, seven, eight years later, this was for thermonuclear war. And some people go around their whole life with these fears. But let me say it this way. Some people go around all their life with juvenile fears that they've had since childhood. You're expected to outgrow it. And maybe if you're not expected to outgrow it as an adult, for whatever reason, you certainly are expected to overcome it as a believer in Christ. I will not fear. What shall man do unto me? That's what the scriptures say. What can man do unto me? That's what the scriptures teach. Now, believe me, just as an aside here, I'm not saying, because you know I do a daily broadcast on anxiety and depression, I'm not saying Christians are never depressed or anxious. They are. 
My broadcast there is to help them understand what the symptoms are, how they work, how the nervous system works, and to overcome it. But now I'm preaching the gospel. And I'm simply saying to you, without explanation, you are expected by God to overcome fear. And you'll still be tempted. No matter how much longer you live on the earth, you'll still be tempted with anxiety because something new is going to come and the same feeling will come back and thoughts come to your head. But you're expected by the commander-in-chief, which is Jesus, to overcome it. To overcome it. And not to live the rest of your life in fear. Look at this verse in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. One of my favorites. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That promise is given specifically to Israel with applications to us. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. Now, somebody says, well, he left. Well, in one way, yes, but in another way, no, because it says, since I'm going away, you will have the Holy Spirit. And he won't be outside you, he'll be inside you. So the application is for us, let's read it again. Isaiah 41.10, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Let's accent I am. I am with thee. I'm encouraged when somebody strong or big or powerful or someone who holds authority is with me. I am encouraged, but no more encouraged than when God says, I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. This is the promise that we have of God. And it's time, after a certain period of time in the Lord, that you overcome your fears. No more excuses. Oh, it's heredity. Oh, it's in my genes. Then get rid of your genes. (laughs) Throw them out. Get yourself some nice dress pants. Put on the whole armor of God. Well, my mother was like this. So you're not your mother. My father was like this. You're not your father. It's all an excuse to withdraw from life. You afraid you're going to die? You're going to die. So you don't have to be afraid anymore because you're going to die. It's just a question of when or where or how. So why not live with the knowledge that the end is going to come sooner or later for you or for the whole world, but both are going to come, and live full out with Christ, I mean, now all the way in, all the way in. Now as old as I'm getting, believe me, my commitment is not getting weaker. My commitment is getting stronger. And man helps us out with that. Oh, yeah, he does. And she does, too. Uh huh. They help us out. They incentivize us. I am incentivized. I am motivated. Thank you. <laughs> As the old commercial used to say, what was it? Aqua Velva? Somebody's complaining. And, tsh, tsh. <laughs> and he said, thanks, I needed that. <laughs> and I'm not going to slap you in your face when you're moaning and groaning and complaining. <laughs> You've got Christ. So why don't you just stop? I think it was Robert Louis Stevenson, I'm not sure, but somebody once said, keep your fears to yourself and give your courage to others. Now, you know, I am a pastor and a counselor, and I have a lot of compassion for people with mental health issues and so on. And I'm not really talking about that little slim margin of a population. I'm talking about all of you. 
It's natural to fear, and believe me, nobody understands fear, anxiety, depression better than your pastor does. That's why I can speak with such authority. So I've been there, and I've been there a lot, but I'm not going to stay there. Amen. I'm not going to have myself shackled with, oh, what's happened? The man said he might blow with the world. Blow it up. You go ahead and try to blow it up because leaders have tried from the beginning of time to conquer and they will never conquer until God says the one's going to conquer the Antichrist and that's for a season. Then he's all done. And God is coming in. Well, I say he's coming in. He's already in. You know what you're going to do, mister? You're not going to do anything but what God permits you. Napoleon tried it and he retreated from Moscow. It just happens to be the same place we're talking about this morning. Man puts his hand to something, he's pompous and proud, arrogant, but God still rules in the heavens. And this is not cheerleading, believe me. This is what your pastor actually believes. And I know it, because every time I look at the stars, they're in the exact same place that I left them last night, or God left them last night. I watch the universe, I watch nature, I watch all of these things. The only thing out of order is man. A man has limited sovereignty and God has unlimited sovereignty. God can and will do all his good pleasure. He's going to do what he's going to do. Now you have a decision to make. Who is it you trust? Can I say this one more time? I don't know that it's ever going to be done with. People believe what they read in the papers. And I said this Wednesday night at the Bible study. I don't want to say you. I don't want to get too personal here. But are people that stupid? Well, I'm telling you that some are. Some of that's stupid. If you're interested in a story, read 12 or 20 reports. And then look for the similarities. Then you say, well, this is pretty much what's going on here. But then you read God's word. And his word is sure. His word doesn't change because God doesn't change. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Read it in Luke chapter 21. And he's speaking about end times and the signs of the times. You're going to be tempted to be afraid. You're going to be tempted to be afraid this afternoon, tomorrow, the day after, next week, whenever we all will be. And that's when you have to make a stand and say, I refuse the spirit of fear. Refuse it. And again, I'm not going to slap you in the face. But there are times I'd like to. Stop. Just stop. Grief is one thing. If you're in grief today, I know some of you are, keep it pure. Don't adulterate it with hatred and bitterness and all this stuff. Fear is the same thing. Just keep it pure. Don't adulterate it by processing your thoughts and making it up and all this. The Bible says that we should speak as the oracles of God. And believe me, this world needs someone to speak with the oracles of God. Keep your fears to yourself and share your courage with others. Number one, you're going to be tempted to be afraid. Number two, we know this, fear is not of God. Are you fearful today? Well, the first thing you can rule out is that it didn't come from God. And I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord. I'm talking about everything else besides it. You afraid? Afraid of going to doctors to get that diagnosis? A, first, it's just diagnosis. doesn't mean it's correct. And B, if they say, well, you know, you have a week to live. Sudden death, sudden glory. You can be assured today, wherever your fear came from, after you've received Christ, that is, it didn't come from your God or your Father. It didn't come from your Savior, and it's not coming from the Holy Spirit. It's coming from another source, either your own heart or Satan or both. It has to be resisted. And so we know the scripture, but let me read it to you. For God hath not given unto us the spirit of fear. If you don't know the verse, you say, well, what did he give us? Power, love, 
and a sound mind. Read through the 119th Psalm and come to the part where David writes how through thy law, for us the word of God is maybe smarter than the ancients, wiser than the teachers. And it's true. Yes, it's true. If you really study it. In any case, we know that fear for the Christian is not given to us by God. But again, it comes from some other source. The human heart, Satan, both usually have a combination working there. But it's not coming from God. So you can scratch that off the list. Where did I get this from? And I would suggest one more time, stop going into your heredity. There's nothing glorious about saying my whole family were nervous wrecks. Does that sound like something you'd want to write a book about? Does that sound like the type of book that everybody wants to read? Say, he came from a family of nervous wrecks. <laughs> then what are you looking for anyway, self-pity? What are you looking for? And we love each other, so that's enough. Encouragement, you know, strength, we all need that. I need frequent words of encouragement and a ton of prayer. But what are you looking for? I'll tell you what God's looking for. In another way, it's the words of Goliath who said, send me a man. Send me a man. He sent a little boy. All the soldiers were now, well, they were indignant. It's a little boy, he's a shepherd, what does he know? Stop, we know your naughtiness, we know what you're up to. This is our business. Well, for those of you who've seen the movie, The Wizard of Oz, well, they're all shaking in their armor. They're all trembling in their armor. And David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know the rest of the story. You know, it's amazing what people can do if they have tenacity and they don't give up. I could tell you some stories about what a little guy can do, because I did it 16 years ago. I wouldn't give up. I wouldn't give in. I wouldn't quit. Somebody else winds up quitting. That's a hint. First time in 100 years, somebody had to step down from his position of authority. You know why? Because one little guy wouldn't give up. And this little guy right here, maybe I'm not so little by your definition, but I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. And I'm not giving in. How about you? How about you? You giving up? No. You giving up? You're weary. I know you're weary. I know you're tired. I'm weary and I'm tired too. But are you going to give up? Are you going to quit? No, you're not. You know, I was with this young person that I trained with, this young kid. She lives on the block behind us. Nice kid. And we get to the end of the workout and she says, do you have any words of affirmation? I said, what do you mean? Like, you're a good person? What do you mean? She couldn't hold a plank position. I said, okay, I'll help you out. We don't quit. We don't give in. We don't give up. We embrace pain. We love it. Well, she finished the plank and she said, that really helped. Because that's how I think to myself when I'm doing those things. I don't quit. I don't give up. I embrace the pain. Pain is my friend. I was taught that by a friend of mine, Spec Ops. Pain is my friend. Battle is the Lord's. Sometimes the Lord calms the storm. That's what we all want. Get rid of the storm, guy. Get rid of these people. Sometimes God says, no, the storm's going to rage. I'm going to calm you. Well, that's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. I don't know about you. Here's little Johnny, five years old, and his mother is um, in the kitchen making supper. And she asked Johnny, Johnny, go into the pantry and grab me a can of that tomato soup. He said, Mommy, it's dark in there. He said, don't worry. Jesus will be with you. The little boy, he crept up to that dark, rather unprepossessing place called the food pantry. And he creaked open that door. And he said, hey, Jesus, if you're in there, can you grab me that can of tomato soup? 
<laughs> That's smart. There's another little kid, you know, probably about the same age. Mom's tucking him in that night, tucking him into the bed. It starts to thunder, you know, and you know, a lot of people are afraid of thunder, dogs included, animals included, and thunder and lightning, and she's tucking him in saying goodnight, and he says to her, hey, Mom, can you just stay with me? And mother said, honey, I can't. I got to sleep in daddy's room. He thought about that for a minute, and he said in that same shaky voice, said, the big sissy. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, they could teach us a lot. But I'm telling you, it's time to get rid of juvenile fears. It's time to get rid of these fears that held over from our former life before we met Christ. It's time now to take the gift of fearlessness and take the scriptures, just one of which I've read to you and like to quote so often. For God hath not given unto us the spirit of fear. And let me advise you as your pastor, don't you be found in that crowd down there in the coffee shop all talking about the world and all this stuff, and you say, oh, yeah. Hey, now you're one of them. Why don't you tell them about Christ the conqueror? Why don't you tell them about Christ who delivers us from our fear? Why don't you tell them about Christ whose kingdom is coming? That's what we pray. Yeah. Thy kingdom come. Yeah. Well, how do we want it to come? God already told us how it's going to come. Elements will melt with fervent heat. Heavens will disappear. Is that thermonuclear war or something else? I don't know. But it doesn't matter because God's going to take care of business. God's going to take care of business. You'll be tempted to fear. That's number one. Fear has not been given to you as some type of gift from God. His gift was to take your fears away. So go get that tomato soup. <laughs> Last few weeks ago was so, whether it was here at the pulpit or on my show, I can't remember my daily show, I don't recall, but I had a theme, why worry when you can pray? You know, in the history of the church, including this church and every church, the least attended meeting of all the meetings any church may have is the prayer meeting. That's a fact. It's always been that way. But you see, when you go to prayer and truly trust God, it is the ultimate display that you know God is truly in control. We ask and we receive because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And why worry when you can pray? Why worry when you can go to God? Casting all your care, 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care about anything in life, because he cares for you, that it really matters to God. Now listen to me, and be humble about what I'm about to say. Some of you don't believe that. It's just a nice thing to say, or hear. I have people in my life that I know I can depend on. Human beings, people. I know if I say, are you going to do that thing? Take care of that thing? Yep. Yeah, I'm going to take care of that. I don't even think about it again. I don't even think about it because I know the person is dependable and the job will get done. Should I think less of God? Should I look at some of you who I know are dependable or others in my life that I know will get the job done? I don't have to think about it. Should I now make God less? Or should I lift up and elevate my thinking in my mind to know that he hears us? The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ear is open unto their cry. Help me, Lord. Save me, Lord. And whatever your prayer request is, is God not hearing you? He says he is. Is God not coming to your aid? He says he is. And Isaiah says, is my arm short that I can't reach you? I'm paraphrasing. Is my power gone from me that I can't help you? Well, it's rhetorical. Of course not, God. I mean, you're God. We have to elevate our thinking. We have to elevate our spirit to understand who God is. God created ex nihil. 
He created something, everything out of nothing. And nobody can do that. We talk about the gap theory in Genesis chapter 1, evolution, theistic evolution, you know, all these years and whatever, and all this stuff. But just to be very simplistic about it, some people think that it's hard for God to just simply say, here's a 30-year-old man, and there he is. He didn't go from zero to 30. He just was born biologically a 30-year-old man because God creates ex nihilo. He creates out of nothing. And that means even if something doesn't exist on our planet, God can still create it out of nothing. That's what he did in Genesis chapter 1. He took that which was not, and he made that which is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he made us, and on and on and on. We create from creation. We take wood and we fashion it into a table, other elements, and fashion them into glass and plastic and all this stuff. We create from creation. God speaks from nothing, and it becomes something. God can speak to your situation right now. Not an hour from now, not a day from now, not after you've had time to reflect on it for a few months. Meanwhile, the stress is building up in your body and maybe destroying your health. I'm going to get to that in a minute. God can speak the word. Well, isn't that what the centurion said? My servant's been sick for a long time and he's laying at home now. He's dying. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And the centurion said, you don't have to come. I'm not worthy that you should visit my house. But speak the word, and my servant shall be healed. Notice the affirmative. My servant shall be healed. Jesus turns around to the people of God. Can I make an application to you? He says, I've not found this kind of faith in the church. Well, he said to Israel, but we understand. I've not found this kind of faith. People with Bibles, you know. You would assume that the 31,102 verses, and if you read it a few times, and I know many of you have, you would think that they're filled with faith. But listen to me. And I've mentioned this before in the studies. Reading this book doesn't do you any good unless you actually apply it. You say this year you're going to lose weight and have abs by the summer. Why? You said, well, I've read books. I've read several books. But you're not doing any exercise. So your books don't do you any good at all. Somebody else who hasn't read one book is out running miles and watching their diet and whatever else they're doing. All of a sudden, you're there. Just the same as ordinary, except you're 20 pounds heavier. And they're pretty fit. It's not reading the Bible that helps you. It's doing what God said to do. The mother of Jesus, Mary, the water turned into wine that Canaan. Jesus says to Mary, it's not my hour. I just love this too. The people of faith, in this case, the mother of Jesus stands there and says to the people, she didn't even answer her, Jesus. She said, whatever he says to do, do it. And left. Whatever he says to do, do it. That's when you get the benefit. That's when you start to see deliverance from fear. That's when all these nervous habits or whatever else, because there's a lot going on in the world. All of a sudden you feel this stability inside and you're able to say, but God. Well, this is going on, Pastor. Yeah, but God. And we have his word and God has taken us into his confidence to say, this is how it's going to go. Whether we like it or not, I've been through that with you before. I wouldn't have wrote a Bible like this, a book like this, but I'm not God. I'm not God. Neither are you. God is working it out his way. And now I've learned over the years to say, it's all right like the Doobie Brothers said. Jesus is just all right with me. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I truly don't care. Well, I hope they find the Jesus of the Bible and they can see things that I've seen. But whether they do or they don't and they want to oppose it, I don't care about that because he's all right. He's done good by me. This book has done good by me. 
And you need to apply it to your life. You need to come to the place where you can pray with confidence. God is hearing. Then, as the scripture says, wait patiently on him. Because God is testing us. And we are on his timetable. He is not on ours. There have been many, many studies done over many years now about how stress affects the body, how it affects your health. There was one study done some years ago to show that a sudden type of stress that comes on you, I mean, it could be anything from a death to an attack, it can cause a myofibrillar degenerative disease of the heart. I was reading a story on a businessman who got hit with some bad news about the business. It was really pretty bad. And within a month, he developed a cancer and died, four weeks. That was related to stress. Don't stress yourself. Believe God. Trust in God. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Jesus. I told you last week, and I'm telling you again, I was thinking last night, and I would say, boy, I'm so glad I'm going to the house of the Lord tomorrow. I get all the dust and dirt and grime and grease off of my spirit and have the shine put back on during song, during prayer, hopefully during the preaching, just feel you know, that invigoration and also renewing. I was looking forward to being here with you. I really was. And I know you feel the same way. That's why you're all saying amen. Thank you. Um, <laughs> forgive me. I'm, I'm off on a tangent here. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> and so now that American Christians are in a rush, some in leadership in the church feel that they have to accommodate them. I had an idea some years ago. It wasn't serious, but it was something I came up with. When we were looking for a building, I've been in three of them in this little city in 35 years. We came across this place, and uh, across the street was the car wash. I said to a brother that was in the car with me at the time, I said, you know what, why buy the building? We'll buy the car wash. See, this way, you can go through the window and get handed a sermon. If you're not baptized, we just turn on the water. You roll the windows down, you're baptized, you got a sermon in your hand, you got the baptism, you throw your money in a little bucket or something, you know, just like they have at the bank, and it's all good. It'll take more than, what, two minutes? And everybody be happy. So they can go out to the mall all day long. This is my opinion, and it's a very strict one. It's the Lord's day, not the Lord's 35 minutes. Now, people are going to do what they want, and that's what they're going to do. I'm not in agreement. If we don't start to take the Lord's day seriously as a day of leisure, God says, hey, you know what? I'm giving you a day off. A day to worship me, a day to be reminded of the faith, and you can slow down, let your body relax from the stress. It's unfortunate that so many, again, leaders in the church are accommodating people by saying, are you in a hurry? Okay, we'll get you in that real quick. So it's like the car wash. Here's the sermon. Read it when you get home. Not baptized. Roll down the windows. Here's the water. Leave off some money. While you're at it, you could have some people, you know, at least in New York years ago, they'd actually have some kids at the end of the car wash, you know, drying off the car. And we'll have some people just kind of slap the hands on you, be healed, be healed, be healed. And they're all done. And they can go off and keep doing the exact same things they've been doing all week long and realize it just doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. If the Bible is not applied, it doesn't work. Amen. It has to be applied. You must do it. Amen. You say, oh, I believe. Well, that means that you're doing it. We often want comfort. But what we really need is discipline. Amen. That's the need of the hour. Be careful for nothing. All right, let me translate this and make it easier for you. Be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. One of the things that I do, and I'm going to suggest it to you, I use adversity, affliction, stress, and a few other things to my advantage. I look at it and say, okay, how am I measuring up to what the book says? So I use it as a measuring stick. You know, like when you want to know how much oil you got in your engine, you have a dipstick. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you'll find your resilience is through the roof, just great. When you're starting to lose a grip on the Lord, you find that your resilience is not so good. And I'm going to suggest to you, take a page out of my book, and this is what I do. I use these things as a measuring stick to see how much faith do I actually have. How much do I really believe? I mean, it's not announced all over the internet and say, you know who I am? I'm a great man of faith. This is personal. It's my personal walk to test myself against the very things that I'm preaching to you and always do. I always do this. Measuring stick. We know, and we've read this verse many times. Now, here's what I want to say about fear and using it as a measuring stick. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. And that's what I do with fear in particular. I do other things with anger and stuff too. Because that tells me how much I really believe God loves me. When things don't work out the way I wish they would have worked out, when things are working out the way I don't like, now I use it as a measuring stick to say, how much do I really believe that God loves and cares for me? And that's what you should do too. You see, when I'm convinced that somebody actually loves me, I'm not worried about them stealing from me. I'm not worried about them stabbing me in the back. I'm not worried about them talking behind my back because I'm convinced that they love me. And let me say this to you very respectfully. There are many of you here that need to grow in the assurance that God actually does love you. And the more that you grow in the assurance that God actually does love you, the less you're going to fear. You know, when you hear a world leader talk about anybody who gets involved will do you know, things that the world has never seen, what, what do you think he's talking about? He knew what he was talking about. We knew what he was talking about. He knew what he was doing. But is God really taking care of the planet? Maybe he's not. Maybe, maybe he's not. Hey, maybe he's not. Maybe he wound up the universe, as Deus say, and he walked away from it. He would care less what's going on down here. But that's not true of the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the God of history. The man in Russia right now was created by the very God that says, one day you'll give an account to me, but you will. But then again, everybody's going to. Everybody. You say, Pastor, do you mean me? Are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. See, we like the pastor to say, well, he's going to be judged. He's going to be judged. We're all going to be judged. If you believe you've already been judged in Christ, if you really believe that, then you're going to have buoyancy and resiliency. Doesn't mean you're not going to have stress and problems, but you kind of, like, remember Weebles? You know, some of you old enough remember? They came out when my kids were little. Weebles wobble, but we don't fall down because they had rounded bottoms, in case you didn't know what a weeble is. The little toy, you push them over, boing, they come right back again, boing, 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 boing. The true Christian is like a weeble. They wobble, but they don't fall down because Christ sustains us. Christ holds us up. Doesn't mean you're not going to be pushed. I'm being pushed, and as you know, okay, you keep pushing. So I don't fall down. I'm a Weeble. Weeble Barnett. Keep pushing. Just keep pushing. 
Because Christ sustains me and he sustains you. There is no fear in love. That's how you can use it as a measuring stick. Look at the stock market. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. I'm going to tell you something personal, okay? I'm going to tell you something personal. Some of my retirement is in that stock. <laughs> I'm worth over a billion dollars. You didn't know that. Okay, so now you know. I'm a multi-billionaire. Well, maybe not. But I'll tell you one thing I don't do. I do read the news. It went up. Good. It went down. Okay. It went up. Good. It went down. Okay. Because my help comes from the Lord. Not Wall Street. Not the New York Stock Exchange. Do I care? Yeah, moderately I care. But I've learned over all these years that God takes care of his own. And that he will supply anything and everything that we need if we trust in him. Am I afraid of nuclear warfare? Well, it's not a pleasant thought. But no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because I know that God is in charge. And I know that God is in control. It's not something I think or I hope. I know. And you can use as a measuring stick in your life how much faith you actually have because there is no fear in love. And I don't know how many of you have found people, I mean human beings, who truly, truly love you. But I can tell you truthfully in my life, and I'm being honest, it's very few. Because people are people. I mean, you can't really put 100% trust in people. But you can put 100% trust in God. And he never moves. He's always the same. That's what I like about God. He's always the same. He's fair. He's righteous. He doesn't change. And he loves me. And I often, when I'm praying to God, and I'm a little confused about this, or maybe about that, I say, God, I know that you love me. I know that you love me. I'm not afraid. I'm just confused. <laughs> I need wisdom. And we take it from there. But I'm suggesting to you that you use your fear as a measuring stick. You got this much fear? That's how much love of God you lack. That's how much you don't understand about the love of God. That's how much you are uncertain about the love of God. And I'll go back to the stock market for just a moment. Oh, you're going to run out of money. Has the world ever run out of money? No. Oh, we're all going to... Oh, well, uh, what did God say? Well, first of all, he said, The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. And I'm not a prosperity preacher. I drive a Ford, not a Tesla or a whatever. And I'm just an ordinary guy, just a blue-collar guy who happens to have an extraordinary God. Amen. Who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So I stopped asking a long time ago, like, where are you, God? Where are you now? Because I already know where he is. Inside me, outside me, above me, this side, that side. He's behind me. He's in front of me. I don't have to ask him where he is. I know where he is. And all I've got to do is just be patient. So in due season, God will work out the details. I like this thing, and I want to read it to you, that was written by Dr. E. Stanley Jones. He said this, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. John Hopkins University doctor said, We do not know why it is that worriers die sooner than non-worriers. But that is a fact. And I love you guys. I really do. But don't be proud that you died early. Because I don't have to say that at your funeral. Your tombstone will say, See, I told you I was sick. <laughs> is that really what you want on your tombstone? See, I told you. 
What would you like? He walked with God. She walked with God. Would you like to be a pillar in the church or a caterpillar? Just kind of crawling in, crawling out. I'm sorry, I'm being so brutal. I'm tired of hearing it. It's wearing me out. I want to hear faith. I want to hear statements of faith. I want to hear statements that are coming from the word of God. Keep your fear to yourself. Spread the courage around. Spread the encouragement around. Spread the strength around. And you know, when you're weak, we're going to help each other, sure. But you have to have discipline to keep your mouth shut. Taisez-toi. Jones went on to say, but I am who of simple mind think I know we are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain, cell, and soul for faith and not for fear. God made us that way to live by warriors, to live against reality, to live by faith is a measure of how much you actually believe God loves you. And I suggest that you use it. Let me finish with this historic story. John Chrysostom was one of the greatest orators of the church. He lived early on in church history. His name, Chrysostom, comes from the word golden-tongued, great orator, great representative of the gospel of Jesus Christ in preaching and teaching. When he went over into the eastern part of the Roman Empire, he talked about and castigated the people who were living extravagantly, lavishly, and he reprimanded them for that. His sermons were so widely heard that it upset the empress, one of the wives of the emperor, And when she heard this, the empress, Eudoxia, decided that they're going to put him in exile. Let's get him out of here. Talking about me, the way I live. This is what Chrysostom said. What can I fear? Will it be death? But you know that Christ is my life and that I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth and all its fullness is the Lord's. Will it be the loss of wealth? But we brought nothing into the world and can carry nothing out. Thus, Chrysostom said, All the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes, and I smile at all its good things. Poverty I do not fear. Riches I do not sigh for. Death I do not shrink from. That's what we need. As we approach the coming of the Lord, as we read in the scriptures and others mock at the approach of Christ, get ready for it. It's already around. That makes no difference to us. We trust in Christ. Trust in this word. But let me remind you, it's not devotions, it's being devoted, and there's a difference. Devotions versus being devoted is reading and closing and doing some of the things we did years ago as a kind of a religious exercise compared to doing it. And when you do it, you gain experience with the Lord. And that's what we need in this hour. To fear death, you're going to die anyway. No sense worrying about it, you're going to die. Isn't that depressing? It's not. <laughs> Why? Because you think you're going to be raised from the dead again? Amen. <laughs> well, that's what Jesus said. Amen. Death? Nah, resurrection. Poverty? Nah, not really. God shall supply all of my need. Amen. And you take it from there, you go on and you go on. And why all of this? Because he really cares for you. He really, really cares for you. But do you believe it? You say, yeah? All right. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Father, we bless you and we praise you today for who you are. You're God. You create out of nothing. We create, well, actually, we don't create. We recreate. And we take your things and we make other things. But only you can speak and create from nothing. You created the worlds from nothing. The universe, you've spoken into existence. Us as well. 
God, you are so worthy to be praised. It's beyond a description. And for every single person here, sitting here, those that are watching by way of the live stream or watching on YouTube or listening by way of the radio, everyone who knows you should be praising you and thanking you and saying, Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Bless you and praise you and thank you. God, there should be no one, not one, should be ashamed of you. But thankful that this is the gospel of salvation. We bless you and we praise you. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. And his mercy endureth forever. Let's give him a hand clap offering this morning. Bless your mighty name. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. Great is the Lord. Greatly to be praised. Bless you, God. Bless you, God. Ha. God is good. All the time. Father, we bless you and we praise you. I, I'm convinced, and I know some of my brothers here and sisters, we're not seeing the end of trying times, troubling times. When we come here, it's an oasis. And our soul is restored. and We're together in song and in prayer and in preaching. God, I ask you to, to truly knit our hearts together. That we would just remember each other in prayer, encourage one another, let people keep their fears to themselves, except when they really need a healing and they need to be delivered. That's different. But let's not spread the gospel of fear, but of faith. Help us to do it together. Help us, God. Pour out your spirit on my friends, on my brothers and my sisters here today. Bless them. Fill them. Strengthen them. Touch them. And Lord, remind us every moment of every day to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of the strength, and then to love one another. So we give you all the praise, give you all the glory, give you all the honor today. In Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen with me this, this morning? Amen. amen.